0: Happy New Year. And coming up on this New Year's episode of the East Screen, West Screen podcast, we'll be talking about the Golden Globe Awards, which recently happened. Uh, Kevin will be looking ahead to the Lunar New Year films of 2017 and talking a little bit about the Hong Kong box office from last year as well. And for our films this week, te- Kevin takes on the Singaporean film Lulu the Movie, and I'll be talking about Office Christmas Party.
1: Hey. hey.
0: Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about a film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and sitting in sunny South here, sitting in sunny South Florida, and over there, sitting at his reviews desk in the future of 2017, is our good friend, Mr. Kevin Ma.
1: Hello there. Hey, Paul. Happy New Year. Happy
0: New Year, sir. How was Happy your New Year? Happy New everybody.
1: Year, everybody. It was all right. Um, did we record this before uh, last episode before Christmas? I don't remember.
0: Yes, it was uh we did the Rogue One episode before Christmas. So
1: Ah, okay, um, okay. So just right, right, right. So yeah, yeah, um yeah, I had I had a um trip to to Singapore and Christmas and then I stayed in Hong Kong for the new year. Um yeah, it was it was pretty peaceful. How about you?
0: Yeah, we've, you know, visited family, did a little bit of traveling and uh we're we're back and recording and ready to uh Get into the thick of it. Did you make any resolutions from uh, last year? You know, twenty sixteen. Did did you achieve anything? Any goals that you had set out?
1: Now, I I don't really believe in <laughs> New Year resolutions. Um, I mean, obviously the usual, you know, try to get healthier and try to be, you know, do better. You know, get take on bigger jobs. So I think this or twenty sixteen, I took on my first Jackie Chan film, I think. Um, so I did the subtitles for for Railroad Tigers. Uh, that's a film in theaters now, by the way, if you guys are in the United States. Um, and yeah, I know it was a pretty. I mean, 2016 was a tough year all around. Um, I think in in terms of the macro things, the, the state of the world, and personally, I had uh, some setbacks. Um, but, you know, plenty to be thankful for. But yeah, I made some good milestones last year. Um, Career wise, I think I did okay. Um, and. You know, it's, when you get to a certain point in, in that career, especially in, in, in doing what I do with subtitling and stuff, it's kind of hard to – you knock down, you check off one aspiration after another. I guess the next stage is, okay, well, it's time to do something creative instead of translating. So that's what I'm hoping to do this year, something more creative or something of my own at least. All right. Excellent. Very good.
0: Um, for my own resolutions, let's see. I had set out to do a couple things. Um, the first one I had set out to do was to quit drinking soda. And I did do that with uh, with a couple of hiccups along the way. I remember I bought some kind of drink. It was supposed to be a fruit drink that I was trying, but it was actually mixed with Sprite. So that was one instance where the the no soda rule got slightly broken. But uh, overall, I had given up soda throughout uh, 2016, continued to do the same. Uh, I had hoped to lose some weight, and unfortunately that didn't happen. I'm still at the same weight I was pretty much at the start of 2016, uh, but I did make a resolution to exercise more, and I have done that, and hopefully uh, the weight will start to come off at some point throughout 2017 as well.
1: Oh, talk about quitting. I did quit caffeine, actually. Well, I, I quit. I didn't. It wasn't a new year resolution. It was something I did. I decided on halfway through last year, and I decided to stop drinking caffeine regularly at least, so I pretty much succeeded at that, and I only drink caffeine maybe once every two weeks or at the most. So so yeah, I've, I've so talked about quitting. I, at least I did that, even though that wasn't really a resolution.
0: No, that's great. We'll take it. We'll take it. Um, <laughs> let's see. The other the other big resolution I had made was I re- I wanted to read more in 2016, and I had set a goal of reading at least um, one thing per week and at least one novel per month. And I kind of fell short. I ended up with a total of 25 things for the year. So I was at the, or sorry. I wanted 25, one thing every two weeks, so 25 things roughly for the year, and I fell short of that by two. I I'd, I'd hit 23 things, and that could include books, comic books, graphic novels, um, anything but magazines, right, um, and internet, you know, online stuff. Um, so I, I missed that goal by two. I had a total of 23 things. That included seven novels, which fell short of my mini goal. I wanted to read one per month, so uh, I was a bit short of that, um, but I had um seven novels and the rest was a combination of graphic novels and manga and uh single issue a few single issue comic books thrown in there so that was a big increase over what i had done in 2015 so hopefully this year in 2017 um i'm going to try and uh meet that and
1: exceed that the the, what i had set for as my bar for last year um to be to be honest i i don't like I don't believe in resolution because people who make resolutions at the beginning of the year, they're the kind of people who make my gym really pack the first couple of months every year. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Only the first few months, though. I mean, Just, it's back that, to normal by like yeah, April. Yeah.
0: The, the, the gym owners really love uh, love uh, the first month of, of January because the memberships are way, way up. Um, all right. So that's good. If you had any significant New Year's resolutions from last year, especially anything film related, Uh, you know, drop us a line, let us know if you met your goals or not. We'll be interested to hear what you guys did, uh, throughout 2016. All right, let's, uh, get off of the new year talk and get on to our film talk for this week. So let me throw the talking stick over to Kevin at his news desk with this week's news.
1: Over here at the news desk. Uh, well, first off, we're going to talk about the golden globes, um, so, so the winners are out. The awards happened on a uh, Sunday night over at your time. Uh, did you watch the show, Paul? Uh,
0: you know, I did not. I think anybody who's listened to the this show long enough knows that I am an avid hater, a hater of award shows and all the sort of glad handing and stuff that goes on. I'm very interested in seeing the results the next day, you know, knowing uh, who who won in what categories, but just the whole pomp and circumstance of the show. And I mean, I know that um, my, my dad was excited to watch it because he likes, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, da, 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 not Jimmy Kimmel, the Fallon. guy. Fallon, Jimmy um, Fallon, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, because he was the host and he really likes him. And, and I liked him back when he was on SNL, and, but I don't watch um, late night talk shows very much at all. So yeah, there, just the whole idea of sitting down for a couple hours and watching people give speeches and stuff, that to me, I, there's, I'd just rather watch a movie instead. Um, but I do. I'm interested in some of the results, and it looks like La La Land, you know, kind of really took a lot, took a lot of the awards home. Um, were, were there any significant things of interest in you know that you noticed, Gavin?
1: So La La Land broke the record, um, took seven awards, which is the most for uh, Golden Globes. But of course, this is because the Golden Globes likes to set set um, a difference a, a barrier between musical or comedy and drama so um, you have uh, a La lot La winning the best actor best actress in that category you have it winning best film in that category of course best director it gets it gets merged into one for some reason no idea why but um that one won as well um, but of course some surprises I think um, for example Aaron Taylor Johnson for nocturnal animals no one saw that coming um, I, I've seen the film and I think he's quite good in it although um i think i think michael shannon should have been should have been the one nominated for that film um uh another surprise isabel hubert i think um a lot of people were talking about natalie portman for jackie um which was another great performance but um isabel has been winning so much of the Critics circle awards uh is not really a surprise by now even though the film itself L, winning Best foreign film, I think was a surprise because a lot of people were expecting tony Erdmann the the German film to to take home the award, but l which is really controversial because it's kind of a rape drama or rape dark comedy, which are words that don't really match together at least in this politically correct time so um I can't even use the word revenge, because the, the revenge doesn't really factor into what happens in a film, but like I said, it's a rape, dark comedy, so it's a very odd film to talk about. But um, Isabel Huppet, with brave, brave performance, a, a astonishing performance, considering that role, um, so I'm not surprised that she won. Drama, Moonlight, the indie gay drama from uh, director Barry Jenkins, only one only one best picture, and there has been some sort of interesting talk about it, um, particularly that uh, at least one of the sort of theory I heard is that this, the Hollywood foreign press, still sort of on that Oscar so white sort of tangent in that they only recognize it by giving it best picture because the producers are white, and they don't recognize any of the African-American talents involved. Instead, they just gave it best picture, essentially to the producer which is brad pitt's company which i find a very whether you agree with it or not um uh it's a very interesting theory and kind of a a a, a um interesting foreshadowing was what's going on this year at the oscar i mean after oscar so white last year are is it going to be again about a a, a you know old time musical with white people and especially white people playing jazz which is a touchy really touchy thing uh if you think about you know the root of jazz and all that stuff so um yeah how about you paul anything struck you well the big thing that
0: i like to follow when it comes towards is animation because i'm a big fan of animation and i was uh, pleasantly surprised that the film that won for animation was zootopia which was actually uh my top pick for animated films Uh, as I watched them throughout the year. And it was my top pick as well. Um, Just beating out uh, Kubo in the two strings, which was my second, and Moana, which was in third. Um, Going down my list of rankings, beyond that would be number four is Finding Dory, number five, Secret Life of Pets, uh, six, Sausage Party, seven, Ice Age Collision, eight, Kung Fu Panda, three, nine, Ratchet and Clank, 10, Trolls two eleven Storks, 12, Angry Birds, and 13, Uh, Sing, which was just released this past December. I haven't had a chance, of course, to see the film that is uh, is kind of making a lot of news with regard to animation because it's not out over here, which is, of course, my name from Japan. And Kevin, you recently tweeted, I think, some news about how the film is doing in Korea, right? It's really doing very well in Korea as well.
1: Well, it's done spectacularly in Taiwan and in Hong Kong. Hong Kong just became the top 2D Japanese film uh, ever uh, with over 30 million hong kong dollars and yeah in korea it made it earned or attracted 1.1 million anim, uh, emissions in one weekend which is pretty much a, a, a significant number um for any film in korea obviously uh back then 1 million was the golden benchmark for mission so imagine doing that one weekend right um but yeah it's it, it, it I can't confirm 100%. I am 90% sure it is it. It is probably an opening weekend record for any Japanese film in Korea. Um, well, I, I don't know how admissions were during the colonial era when you only have Japanese films, but as far as box office, you know, box office records exist ever since box office records existed in Korea. I think, or in modern South Korea, it is the highest opening weekend for any Japanese film in South Korea.
0: Yeah, I'm very interested to see it and see what all the sort of hype is about. I've gone back through uh, the, I've started going back and revisiting some of his earlier filmography works, um, starting back with Voices from a Distant Star and um, some of the other, going through some of the other stuff now while I've been on holiday. Uh, hopefully, it'll get a get some screenings over here, or at least you know we'll get a chance to see it on maybe Netflix or Crunchyroll or something. Uh, in the very near future I'd have to imagine doing so well in Asia I think at least somebody might pick it up for a few theatrical releases over here
1: oh I'm Um, pretty sure it has actually I'm pretty sure it has this hasn't happened yet but I'm sure someone already picked it up for it
0: all right let's move on from the Golden Globes to talk a little bit about some Hong Kong cinema and Asian cinema for films for the new year
1: what do we have on the horizon sir so, yeah, looking ahead, um, of course, the biggest period we have coming up here in, in, in this area of the world is Lunar New Year. Um, and that's coming on January 28th, I believe. Uh, so while, uh, Paul, you will get the Great Wall finally in, a, in a, 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 about two weeks after that, we're getting some really, really huge stuff. So we have the Journey to the West sequel. um God, I've already forgotten the English full name of it, but it's the Steven, It's a Trey Hart directed, written by, co-written and co-produced by Stephen Chow. Uh, we got that. That's probably going to be the biggest film of the period. Um, although I'm not sure if I like this whole, you know, millennial millennialized or millennialized new cast of of uh, Journey to the West, which has uh, I think Chris, Chris, the the former uh, K-pop idol, uh, Chris Wu, I think his name i mean chris something um and and, and a few other young star i think lee gun shin uh, who really would try really likes to work with he's he's also playing uh, i think he's playing a monkey king yeah um but yeah just millennial cast uh we also have jackie chan's kung fu yoga um which is partly shot in india you know stanley tong reunited with jackie chan uh but it looks like a big dumb sort of uh, big action comedy um so also the, uh, we also have the Wong Chang's directorial debut, um, and also a new film by uh, writer Han Han, really, really famous writer. He did The Continent, which was a huge hit. Uh, his new film is kind of a Back to the Future-esque uh, thing with uh, Eddie Pang and Dun Chow. Here in Hong Kong, we'll get the Stephen Chow film for sure. We also get Resident Evil, the new Resident Evil. Um, but local local film, we, we'll get the Yuppie Fantasia free. If you remember, I, I'm sure people who like the, the listeners of the show who follow the 1980s and 90s cinema will know the Yuppie Fantasia. There's the Lawrence Chang film. Uh, he did two of those with Dudu uh, du Chang. And there's the 30th anniversary film. Uh, it has it will have Chrissy Chow in it and a bunch of other younger actresses. And, of course, Lawrence Chang. Um, China will also get The Village of No Return. Uh, there's the latest film by Chen Yushun, who is the director of uh, Zone um a hit Comedy from Taiwan a few years ago. He also directed *Tropical Fish*, which was a big hit in the 80s. Uh, this film stars Chu Qi and a whole bunch of other um, Taiwan actors, including Tony Yang. It's a period piece, um, and it's getting a day and date release uh, in Taiwan and also mainland China. Uh, Taiwan also have *Hanky Panky*, a the um, local comedy starring Zhuge Ge Liang, who is a very very famous uh, local comedian. Uh, he has a New Year film pretty much every year. Um, uh, so this year is panky-panky. It looks just as local as ever. In-, in other words, I will probably never get to see it or get to seeing it. Um, more interestingly, we have 52 Hearst I Love You, which is the latest film by director Wei Um If you don't know this name, uh, you probably have heard of Scenic Bali, the big uh, epic uh, two-part uh, uh, epic from Taiwan Uh, or you might have heard of Cape Number 7. He also produced Kano, the baseball film, from 2014 or 2013. This is his latest directorial effort, and it's a musical. It's a romantic, romantic, big-screen musical, sort of like La La Land. So um, that will be releasing uh, in Taiwan just a week before New Year. We'll also have uh, previews here in Hong Kong, so I'll be watching that. Um, And yeah, I mean, that... So this whole period is so so competitive, especially in China, that the um, Cook Up a Storm... The, the cooking film starring Nick Se and uh, Goyo is actually getting out of the way. It's going it, it's been pushed back to February tenth uh, here in Hong Kong and in China. So we won't be able to see Nick and his chef hat uh, until after after New Year, unfortunately.
0: you just have to watch his TV show, right?
1: Yeah, well, if you know, because who wants to see you know Maggie Chen when we can go watch Ge Yo, right? <laughs> All right. Very cool. Some stuff
0: to look forward to for uh, the coming Lunar New Year. Hopefully you'll be able to be in Hong Kong and see that stuff. Or if you're like me, you can simply anticipate when it hits eventually a video release of some form. Um, All right. Our final news this week, uh, a little bit of box office news between uh, Hong Kong and China.
1: Yeah, um, looking back in 2016, um, so it was a very, very interesting year. I think in Asia all altogether, sort of this, because you know the regular, the normal, what we're used to is sort of the Hollywood domination, um, and we see the you know, top films, blah blah. But it's a, it, it's been a very interesting year in Hong Kong um, and in China or in Asia as a whole. Um, first of all, you have so overall, let's talk about overall results. Um, uh, Korea uh, had, a, had finally saw a drop in box office after a few years of growth. Hong Kong uh, box office also dipped slightly, even though we had some new box office records uh, broken. China, you know, they've been looking at twenty five percent growth every year until last year when it grew only by three percent. But what what happened? Um, so Korea had a, had one of its most critically successful years, I think, in in their films and since maybe in the last three or four years. Uh, you had a couple of really, really critically acclaimed films. You had The Wailing. You had um, a Tunnel. You had uh, uh, um, also The Handmaiden, which was in the can. Um, and and you have uh, Age of Shadows. And you came doing film. But, it, it, you know, hit after hit after hit critically. But the thing is, overall, box office was down. So that was interesting. But most interesting is, of course, Train to, Train to Busan. It's this sort of gigantic blockbuster it was the only film in korea that broke 10 million emissions but abroad it did extremely well um it pretty much did hollywood's size business in taiwan it set new records in thailand and i think in cambodia in malaysia and singapore it was like at the top of the box office in singapore it set a new record in hong kong um it became the highest grossing asian film ever even beating out um uh, uh hong kong films um then you have something like Your Name, which, again, you know, 200 billion yen in, 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 in Japan. Um, no one expected it because, you know, no one expected someone to defrom Miyazaki like this. Um, and, of course, like I just said earlier, box office records in Hong Kong. Uh, again, Hollywood, you know, became most highest grossing Japanese film ever in Taiwan. Um, and now the set box office workers in Korea. So, it's been a very healthy year for certain sectors or for big sort of these big blockbusters in Asia, but yet you don't get Hong Kong box office, right? Um, so you have Cold War, which set a new record for a local film, highest-grossing local film ever, or highest-grossing Chinese language film ever, even though it did not beat Train to Busan. Um, but yet, um, from looking at it, there's only, like, I think only about four films that that topped the um, $10 million Hong Kong dollars mark. $10 million is sort of the goal... Is sort of the benchmark for success here in Hong Kong. Um, so if, I, if I'm, I'm looking at the list right now, we have Cold War at 66 million. We have Mermaid at 55 million, which is a very typical Stephen Chow number anyway. We have From Vegas to Macau 3 at 24 million. Then we drop all the way down to Monkey King 3 or Monkey King 2 at just 15. Then Lion Walker at 10.8. Call of Heroes at 10.2. Then everything else. Made less than 10 million, you know. I think at least 56 or 50 something Hong Kong films were released in, or at least Chinese language films were released in Hong Kong in 2016. Only six films made more than 10 million, which is, I think, while we have that record, beaten, you know, that record standing on top of uh, the Hong Kong box office chart, there is sort of a crisis going on here that no one is really looking at is the number of films you have about 50 films not you know, Hong Kong film budget as low as they can get, they still need to reach a certain, make three times their budget in order to make back the money. And if you're not making more than $10 million, it means only films that are made for less than 3 million are being profitable based on Hong Kong box office, which is really, really dangerous. I think even a film like Trevisa, which pretty much universal acclaim across, you know, across pretty much all Hong Kong only made 9.2 million. Um, so, so um, again, very interesting records being broken, but also I think we have to step into 2017 with a, with a sort of sense of caution. Um, it's getting a bit worrisome. Um, so, yeah, um, it was a very interesting year. But, oh, okay, back to talk about China. Um, so a lot, a lot of talk about um, uh, why is box office growth slowing in China. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, personally, I think it's a bubble. It's a bubble and you know it was bound to burst at any time, the population isn't growing at 25%, right? That means your cinema at- attendance isn't growing at 25%, right? Even though your cinema screens are growing. But the thing is, the people who are going to films are still leaning towards a younger audience. And and I think they're getting more savvy in China, which means you can't just dump any Hollywood film and expecting to make a ton of money there. Or, you know, or Chinese filmmakers just can't dump a whole bunch of films in and expect to or with a young idol and expect to make money um what's happening is that if you saw the news towards the end of the year you had a couple of huge films you had the one Wai produced uh, see you tomorrow you had the great wall the Jiang yi mo film um we also had um the jackie chan film railroad tigers and all three of those suffered from such bad word of mouth that none of those films uh, essentially make back their or making back their money in China and and even got to a point where a government newspaper had to write an editorial blaming internet users on, on on diminishing returns at Chinese box office and actually there's nothing wrong with that you know it's true that the product you make you know the if your films a crap people aren't gonna show up and you can only really cheat modern audiences for so long they you know, Chinese audience have been cheated for a while, for a couple of years, and they've been they faced these filmmakers who who make lackluster products, and and people still showed up. But I think audience is a lot more savvy now, and it's getting quite obvious um, that they're show they're voting with their wallets. Uh, they're not not every film now is is deemed worthy of their money. Um, so yeah lots of interesting things patterns uh going to 2017 some some bad some interesting and uh hopefully uh some good i hope just hope that we get better films in asia here in 2017 it was a pretty average year i think in 2016 so uh yeah let's hope let's be optimistic
0: you know it's it's funny because last weekend i think um uh john barra who teaches at uh Renmin University in Beijing, and he uh, editor over at uh, V Cinema. Uh, he posted something on Facebook when he was watching Star Wars Rogue One. Uh, to uh, basically what he said was, uh, you know, an, an empty, an, a near empty cinema there. And you know, I had commented. I said, you know, you know, if Zhang Wen and Donnie can't bring them out to watch the movie, uh, nothing can, right? The the power of Zhang Wen and Donnie. And I think it goes to point that you just can't get people interested by putting in names right i mean if if you compare something like that or the great wall or um you know uh, a jackie chan movie to um you know a film like your name right it just goes to show that the 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 chinese audience is going to make up their own mind what interests them and and what they're interested in and it's not simply putting big names in big intellectual properties uh, that have worked elsewhere, necessarily.
1: Well, Rogue One is an ex- interesting example, because um, just talk about inflated expectations, right? You're trying to sell a franchise to a country, a franchise that started before that country started even consuming that film. So, you know, the thing is, I've seen some editorials about how sci-fis don't work in China, but actually sci-fi, Hollywood sci-fi films do especially well in China. Um transformers for example you talk about if we talk about franchises that were launched in the last 10 years uh, and i mean that people were able to access with the internet it was going to be a hit transformers the first couple i think the first two films were even in china and it was a huge huge hit in china three and four uh and five what are you, up to five films now i don't remember is yeah, it five i
0: think the fifth one is coming that's the one that's coming I think four it's four now with five on the way okay but so three and four
1: Okay, three and four. Or the fa- uh well okay, or the Fast and Furious uh, franchise, which also launched I think late nineties, early two thousands. Uh again, China Internet, people were able to follow the franchise. You have a whole generation of people grew up on that franchise, but not Star Wars. Jiang Wen, okay, here's a story that I heard that when they pitch when they actually called Wen up to go to ask him to be Star Wars, he's like, What the hell is that? He doesn't know what Star Wars is <laughs> He grew uh-huh. up in the '70s, you know. he grew up in the Cultural Revolution. They don't have Star Wars, so you're trying to sell a half a a 30 year franchise to a country where pop culture, Hollywood pop culture consumption doesn't has isn't even that old yet. So um, I think mean, that's an interesting. But of course, American centric thinking thinks that you know it's our product, any of our product that makes money everywhere else in the world. Who's gonna make a ton of money in China, right? Um, no, it doesn't work like that so it's just kind of interesting how they're inflated when their inflated expectation um, isn't matched you know I mean the film did made 200 million RMB. you know what I mean I mean that's that's double of what a Derek E film made you know that's what double what the Storm Master made right but you, you have such inflated expectation that suddenly if it doesn't match our expectation for the rest of the world why don't why doesn't China why does it match the rest of the world why aren't they, are they paying to watch our movie? Is that sort of a really entitled expectation? I think it's very interesting. Um, but I think it's also an interesting um, uh, uh, um, observation that, yes, this is a film that took up 40% of screenings. It was expected to do huge. Even though no one told uh, the Disney people that actually Zhang Wen and Donnie aren't really, haven't really proven to be box office names out on their own, by the way. I mean, Donnie's biggest hit was It Man, and that's because it's It Man, not Donnie. Or John Wen's uh, biggest hit was uh, Let the Bullets Fly, but it's not only because of John Wen himself. It's right. because of the rest of the cast. So, so course, interesting, no one told Disney that they don't really have solid track records. But you're right, Paul. Um, it's true that, that I, I hope that you know they've learned that putting in uh, big names in in a film, people just doesn't automatically mean people go show up. It's like The Great Wall, right? Andy Lau, you have Zhang Hanyu, you have, um, we'll forget Jin Tian. No one knows who the oh, Jin Tian is. But, you know, Eddie Pang, Liu Han, right? All these all these big names. And and by expectation, the movie costs $150 US million dollars, and it's not going to make back that money in China.
0: Yeah. Let's just blame Matt Damon. That's what we'll do. Um, and, you know, also, too, yeah. this year we've got, uh, you know, the. I don't think they're doing this to target uh, the overseas market so much, but that might be some part of their formula. You know, you've got Star Trek Discovery um, hitting that's the new Star Trek series coming in 2017. Um, it's the first time I think it's been on television since the, the early 2000s, I think, uh, when Enterprise went off the air. And they've who have they cast in it? Of course, they've cast Michelle Yeoh as the lead captain. Um, I, I forget the captain's name at, at the moment. But, uh, you know, she's going to be uh, the, the, the second female captain after Janeway. And she's an Asian female captain, you know, so that's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting to see how it does and if it picks up any steam overseas. Because the Star Trek series as a series has never been that popular um, in Asia. And the films, I think, have done you know, uh, this is just kind of mediocre business in in terms of, they they certainly haven't sparked a lot of interest in the the television series or, um, you know, that franchise in general. So it'd be interesting to see if this new approach to television is something that picks up abroad.
1: Well, TV is very different because TV is still um, very much follows that that sales model. Right. So what the producers or the content owners are aiming are for some Chinese video site to pay a huge, huge uh, price on it in, that, in, in the sense that box office or ratings don't really matter. What matters is how much that Chinese video platform site or how much that Singapore TV station or, 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 or Malaysian TV station, how much are they willing to pay for it. That's what matters more. So that's a pretty much, much more pre-sale package than anything. And I think that's what the Michelle Yo casting would help.
0: Um, all right. Well, yeah, it's, it's definitely been an interesting year, especially in terms of Korean film. I've caught up on a couple of Korean films from last year. I just, I just committed the time uh, last week, I think, to sit down and, and watch The Wailing, which I started. <laughs> I, I mistakenly started because I had to do it when when you know the, the girls were asleep. And so I mistakenly started this at, I want to say, like midnight one night. And I was just committed to stay up and watch it. And I didn't go to bed until like 4.30 because I had to stop and, you know, go to the bathroom a few points. And that is a long movie, let me tell you. And, you know, I thought it was named The Wailing at first just because of the wailing I was doing because it was so long. But, um, no, it was a very good film. And if it's not one you've seen, uh, definitely do try and get out and see it. We talked about Train to Busan last time as well. Um, So yeah, a lot of good stuff coming out of 2016. And if you haven't had a chance to see it in the cinemas, it should be coming hopefully to a platform or a form of physical media near you very soon. Let's take a short musical interlude and we'll be back with Kevin's review of the Singaporean film Lulu the Movie. welcome back up first kevin went to singapore for christmas and while he was there of course he engaged in some cinema going so kevin you're going to tell us about this singaporean film lulu the movie
1: starring and directed by michelle chong right um so i was in singapore and i thought you know okay so i watched you know the won karai film i watched uh, rogue one again and and i watched disney did moana but of course i how can you go to and i watched the amir khan film a bollywood film by the way but of course how can i go to singapore without watching a singaporean film but um unfortunately there aren't that many singaporean films to begin with and i've already seen the the biggest pretty much the biggest at least the one that's raising the most buzz which is apprentice the the one that was in can luckily uh thanks to uh, uh um really terrible um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Bias being shown by his own distributor uh, Cathay, I was able to see uh, Lulu the movie, even though it opened I think in early November or late November and um, so how how Singaporean cinema works, or that is that when uh, a lot of the local films are Asian films, when they don't because their distributors are really weak in getting you know securing screens against big Hollywood films, they tend to link to one of the big uh, theater chains. So um, for example, Lulu was linked to, or distributed by Cathay, which is which runs, which is one of the three big major uh, cinema chains in Singapore. Um, so of course, Cathay cinemas art were still showing the film by by Christmas weekend, despite having, you know, Rogue One and Passengers and all the big Christmas films and Disney films and all that stuff because it was their own film, so thankfully I was able to catch one of the um, very few daily screenings left in Singapore so I got to watch this film um I, I already kind of knew Lulu the movie. I I looked up things about it. It's actually a a character uh, based on a, a long running satire show called The News. It's not quite The Daily Show, but it it's a bit similar. It's very satirical. Um, you have these characters essentially all fitting in some different archetypes, um, uh, reporting fake news stories. Um, it's not quite as hard hitting as The Daily Show. It doesn't. It's not. It doesn't keep it real so much because you know. Uh, censorship in Singapore and all that stuff. So it kind of toes a a very thin line where they step on. But one of the characters on that show is Lulu, who is this um, caricature of a a mainland Chinese woman. Um, You can look up the news. There are clips of her uh, on YouTube. The news is N-O-O-S-E, the news. Uh, You look up Lulu news, I'm sure you'll find some things about it. Um, Very interestingly, though, I've heard uh, down low that Michelle Chung didn't really create this character that the writers of the news created the character, but she kind of took it on, ran it off on her own and made this movie on her own. Um, But she is a very big talent and I'll talk about her a little bit later, but first the story. Um, So Lulu, the movie again, based on a character from satire show, the news, Lulu, the movie follows the adventures of Lulu, a mainland Chinese woman who moves to Singapore in hopes of meeting her handsome internet boyfriend. When he turns out to be the opposite of what she was expecting, she decides to tough it out in Singapore, first working as a KTV girl, a waitress, and finally becoming a fashionista. Um, so as I said, based on the local TV show, it's a very, very local film, lots of very local humor. Um, it's based on how local archetype or how local people see sort of caricature of, of mainland Chinese people Um Michelle Chung, she's actually a very popular comedy talent in Singapore. She's made several films and she's been voted, I think 10 years ago, she was voted like sexiest, one of the sexiest women in Singapore. And she's a writer, she's a director. She plays two roles in this film. Uh, her second film, already famous, was even picked as Singapore's Oscar contender back a few years ago. So this is her third film. Um However, you wouldn't able to tell that she's an experienced director from Lulu's uh, lackluster production values. It's shot on a seems to be shot on a very low budget, and the digital sort of look of the film makes it look like a student film. Um, but I actually can't excuse it because it must have been made on a very low budget. Um, it's a very, very local film, again. It just not something that would export. I think at the most, it might get exported to Malaysia just because you have that sort of the cultural side might be might be similar but um as far as i know malaysia doesn't really malaysians don't really indulge in this type of satire uh, i think um so it couldn't have made a lot of money so it was it was already it was destined to be made on a very low budget um so the first half of the film which is m- mostly the story that i just described it's actually kind of funny on paper but it's not terribly funny in execution um a lot of the writing is very obvious um it's very sort of television-esque i think hong kong television-esque i mean um the 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 dialogue is is very obvious very tv-esque and even even the good jokes are sort of run to the ground there's a really good really funny joke you watch the trailer there's a very funny joke about how singaporeans can't spell and uh, one character has a really funny way of spelling fashion. And even that joke sort of gets run to the ground. Uh, or um, um, Lulu's uh, internet boyfriend uh, calls himself Brad Pitt. But of course when she gets there, um, it turns out that he looks like the very opposite. It's like this 40-year-old middle-aged man. And it turns out that his twin brother is played by Leon J. Williams. Who you may remember as the guy who replaced Ezra Chan in Jump the the uh, Steven Chow produced comedy. If you don't, it's okay because no one remembers Leon J. Williams. Yes, <laughs> that kind of presence. But anyway, um, um, I think characters like Lulu, you know, characters that are from car- uh, comedy sketches, uh, like the Saturday Night, uh, Saturday Night Live characters, right? They're great in short doses, just like on the news or when they're on Mad TV or when they're on Saturday Night Live. But it's very hard to sustain in a in a feature length film. And again, this film I think proves it because you have this first half where Lulu goes on his journey. But the thing is she's when when she's not funny, she's really not much of a character. And she's not really much of a character that's worth following. Um so it's weird to see her do serious scenes as Lulu. Um but Chong is a hugely talented entertainer. Like I said, she wrote the film, she directed the film, she even plays two roles in the film. She plays Lulu, you know, who is this Chinese woman who can't really speak English, and she plays this um, uh, uh, fashion icon or fashion show host named Sonia, uh, who speaks perfect English and refuses to speak Chinese. And it's a very very different uh, role, and she plays both of them. and I couldn't actually I couldn't tell for a minute, for for some time that it was her playing both of them until you know a while later. But I'm sure locals knew that. Um, and her talent is even more obvious when the film sort of goes in. Goes into Borat mode. It, um, so as Lulu, Michelle Chung travels to London and Shanghai, and I'm, I, I don't remember if she does it in Singapore, but she interviews people on the street in character as Lulu. Um, and it's almost like trolling them, like she's in, she's dancing in this fashion market in Shanghai, which which is supposedly where where, where Lulu is from, and she's, talk, she's sort of trolling these shopkeepers, and all that stuff is actually very, very funny. It's so good that I wish that the whole film just went full Borat, like the whole film was a mockumentary, but unfortunately, I guess they sort of had to balance the two, I guess they wanted to tell a story, or Michelle Chung worried that a Manry won't won't work in Singapore as a commercial film, Um, so I guess she decided not to do that, but when it goes into bull rat mode, it's a very funny film. Um, And she's improvising these these moments, obviously. Uh, She even has an interview with Vanessa Wu, who is the former uh, F4 member um, obviously, I think he's in on the joke, but but the way she improvises the whole interview is very funny, and of course, Vanessa had to have to keep his face on straight the whole time, looking really pissed off. Um, but you know, all that stuff is very really funny. Um, so of course. A film where you making fun of Chinese people is going to offend Chinese people, right? It's an archetype, it's stereotype. And and I think Singaporeans see Chinese tourists um, a bit similar to how Hong Kong people see ter- uh, Chinese people, but with a lot less hostility, of course. I think a lot of the humor is kind of good nature. I mean, even on Douban, uh, the Chinese uh, user website, there are a couple of really negative comments about the film already. But um, it does have a good nature message that encourages people to be themselves. Like I said, Lulu, uh, even as herself, becomes a fashionista later on. Um, uh, so it, it has a very positive message about how people should just be themselves and not try to not try to be what other people tell you to be. So that softens the blow a little bit. Um, it is, it's not, unfortunate, it's ultimately not a very good film, but it's very interesting examination of what, Local humor is in Singapore, I think, and how hung, uh, Singapore people sort of see their neighbors uh, on the north.
0: All right, very good. I'm looking forward to see to see it. I, I do like. Um, I've seen some of Michelle Chong's work elsewhere in in uh, both TV dramas and uh, I think one or two of the films she's she's done. Uh, she there's a film out that I think she did in 2014 called um, Our Sister Mambo, which is oh. Uh, is a, you know? Kind it's a of, remake. Yeah, it, it's kind of a love letter to like old, the old Hong Kong films like um, uh, Mambo and Our Sister Hetty and stuff. And uh, that's up on uh, Netflix US. I'm not sure if it's on international Netflix, but you can check that out if you're interested to it's see. It's on Hong Kong Netflix for sure. It's on Hong Kong Netflix. Yeah, see some of her work out there. East green, West green. So for our West Screen review this week, I'm taking a look at Office Christmas Party. This is from directors uh, Josh Gordon and Will Speck, who I think uh, if you follow follow most of uh, the kind of work that they've done, their most recognizable uh, feature is uh, Blades of Glory uh, from uh, a few years back. Uh, They also did the failed TV show The Cavemen, which was a weird thing. It was kind of based on a very popular series of Geico ads for those who are overseas don't know. Geico is an insurance company here and they run these creative ads usually with um, this lizard, this sort of CG lizard who's very popular. But they had this series back in the mid 2000s where they were these cavemen guys who were like working in business offices for some reason and that got really popular and somebody said hey we need to make that into a TV series which was a terrible idea and it was obviously a terrible idea because it didn't even make it out of a few episodes I think of the first season before getting cancelled but um, film goers will know them from blades of glory and here they are again with uh, office Christmas party how can we describe this film Um, the summary is basically this when clay played by TJ Miller the, struggling tech for, uh, the head of struggling tech firm Xenotech decides to throw a Christmas bash. His two top employees, played by Jason Bateman and Olivia Munn, see the opportunity to win over a big client that might just save their company from closure. Standing in the way of this, though, is their boss's tyrannical sister, played by Jennifer Aniston, who wants to seize control of the company and put an end to Clay's man-child style leadership. Um, so... To get into the mindset of this movie, you have to think the hangover meets Christmas, but with a little bit more of an SNL tone. It's really not quite as adult as perhaps the hangover films were. Um, but it does try. it 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 does try to to go there. Um, I'll say this. there there's one scene uh, with um, a guy, you know, at sort of the height of the craziness of the Christmas party a guy goes to the 3d printer and puts his junk in the 3d printer to print it <laughs> so and and you know you you get a you get a side shot of the junk in the 3d printer you know so it's really trying to 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 meet that kind of expectation the the sort of crazy party adult nature that the hangover hangover movies generated And putting them into this this Christmas mode Um, but most of it is sort of along the lines of an SNL skit more than anything else the leads are fine Um, I enjoy Jason Bateman I really like Olivia Munn and they're playing to type here so there's not a lot uh, that's going on character wise Um, the same can be said I think with uh, Jennifer Aniston she's you know uh, building on material we've seen her do before and TJ Miller who is very often playing just T.J. Miller for the most part, I guess, Uh, if you're familiar with some of the stuff he does. There's not a lot of stretch here, but it all sort of comes together and it works and is fairly entertaining when the leads are um, in scenes together. The film does jump over to some scenes with supporting characters and very often, um, you know, this gets into the sort of skit territory. So there's like a scene with Vanessa Bayer from SNL, where she's paired off with Randall Park from um, Fresh Off the Boat and The Interview. And the two of them are trying to hook up in one of the side offices. And the whole thing just kind of plays out like this uncomfortable uh, TV skit. Some of it's funny. Some of it doesn't work all the time. Um, but mostly I enjoyed the film when the leads were on, on screen together. Um, Bateman, for example, he you know he's basically a step removed from his Arrested Development persona. You know, he's the... The, the the smart, nice guy who gets caught up in circumstances. Wow. Olivia Munn here is playing a combo of the tech nerd. She's the, the head tech programmer for the company. And she's a little bit hard-nosed and, you know, kind of got that kind of same attitude as her character Sloane Sabbath from The Newsroom. As I said, Miller is Miller. He'd be a fun boss to have, though. I think he's like, you know, the ideal guy you want to work for because he's, you know, this sort of man-child Um, At the same time, he's not entirely responsible, which is part of the reason why they established that this branch of the company is having trouble. And Aniston, of course, comes in and she's kind of the um, not really the antagonist of the film, but she's the thing that they sort of have to overcome. And for a minute, I remember when I was watching this film, the trailer for this film a few months back, I thought, I thought this was going to be another horrible bosses film just because of the way they cut scenes together with uh, bateman and aniston together um and maybe at some point it was pitched as that i think there have been two of the films so far i've only seen the first one um but again for the most part when they're on screen they're fine everybody though as seems to be the the trend in 2016 uh for films she was in kate mckinnon kind of upstages everybody Um, She's got a a role as the sort of HR rep who's in charge of trying to keep everybody, you know, politically correct and following the proper office protocol. And I think for anybody who's worked in an office environment before and had to deal with things of an HR nature, I think you'll find her scenes tend to be the funniest um, uh, when she's on screen. So lots of other comedy cameos that you can go through, people from, you know, uh, uh, different comedy films you've seen like hot tub time machine and others pop up at times um as i said with these films the humor is going to be based on your tolerance for adult humor as it tries to push more and more into that adult territory you know for me it's a middle ground between that between an snl skit and 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 going to sort of (laughs) junk on the glass in in the 3d printer which is a bit too far for my taste but you know, it, it does find a couple medium points in the middle where I, I, I did enjoy the film. I think my wife enjoyed it, too. Um, but it's going to be a mixed bag because they run the spectrum. So it's not going to be for everybody. As a Christmas film, and I'm a big fan of Christmas films. I love Christmas films. Um, you know, shout out to our friend David Harris, who I know is in, in the group with me in his love for Christmas movies. Um, this is, you know, this is not something that is going to be in my rotation, I think. Um, It's not going to be a thing I return to like a Christmas carol or a wonderful life or uh, the Santa Claus or anything like that. Um, It's more of a one and done for me. I mean, it's set at Christmas. It's about a Christmas party, but, you know, it kind of tries to have a message, but it's not really a holiday message. It could have been set at any time, really, um, and just been, you know, a, a wild and crazy party. So it's more of a one-and-done for me i don't know if it's something i'd return to um you know when the holiday season comes around again it's not something that i think is trying to invoke those things as i said much more of a going for that adult feel even to the point of almost copying verbatim the end credits of the hangover and if you remember the original hangover movie it was this series of uh what were they polaroid photographs right and they, 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 you know, they showed these during the credits. And then if you got the super unrated edition or something, there were even more of those photographs that, that were, were being uh, put on display here. They're doing the same things, except instead of Polaroid photographs, it's some kind of photo booth that they had at the office that different characters jump in and do some crazy, you know, take some crazy shots in. Um, so that kind of stuff is there. And it's fun for the for for what it is, but it's not something that I think you'd want to return to. Any plans to see Office Christmas Party, Kevin?
1: I, I actually did see the film. Oh, you did? I did see the. I did. I did. I mean, you know, I watch last week we had a gathering, and then you know, whenever someone brings up a Hollywood film, we're like oh, I've seen it, I've seen it. Uh yes, I actually did watch Office Christmas Party, and as as you know, as much as uh, what, did, as many,
0: how did you see it? Was it in Singapore or on the plane or? No, it was playing in Hong Kong. Oh, they played it in Hong Kong. Okay, I'm surprised. It was.
1: It came out in Hong Kong actually almost day and date. I think almost. I think maybe two weeks behind. Yeah, I, I saw and I saw it quite late actually, sadly. Um, but yeah, I saw it and I and honestly, I as as I know it's like a 27 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but I had a lot of fun. Uh, I laughed a lot. I mean, I thought the, the 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 um there's a character who's dressed up as Jesus. <laughs> and see, this is a shot of Jesus riding on a horse across the office. I don't know why it got with the song playing. I forgot what song it was, but it was a Christmas song, obviously. But the song playing, I don't know, I just got such a huge laugh out of me, and I had a lot of fun, especially the actors. And and um, I was just watching why him before we recorded, and. A lot of these sort of raunchy comedies, you you don't remember what happened in the film, but I think the actors sort of leave a much more impression, better impression than the than the actual film did. And I think this is one of those cases where I probably won't watch it again, but I had a lot of fun watching it. And and you know, that's that's sort of in, I I don't have high expectations for films like this.
0: You're listening to the East Screen West Screen Podcast. Visit KongCast.com for more. Okay, you have been listening to the East Screen West Screen Podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily from lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. So, if you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via our website at concast.com. That's K O N G C A S T.com. You can follow us at Twitter at concast. You can email us eastscreen at gmail.com. And you can catch us over on Facebook at eastswests. So uh, you know, drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you liked about the holiday movies or what you didn't like. Um, let us know how how we're doing here too as well. Remember to check out uh, the as I mentioned last time, uh, lovehkfilm.com. The awards were up, and uh, if you haven't gone and seen the rankings from the 2015 films, uh, you can go check those out. We hope to be perhaps having the 2016 awards maybe a bit sooner. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> What happens with that as always i am urge you to catch up with kevin and everything that he's doing kevin where can they find out more about what's going on with you
1: i write uh regularly for the discovery magazine i'm the entertainment editor of discovery and Silk Road magazines uh, available on cathay pacific and cathay dragon flights um i think we're switching from ipad to digital so, which means that um, in very soon, I think maybe in a month or two, you'll be able to see a lot of the content that I write on on the web instead of just on the iPad. So, but um, if you not, like to, they're not taking away the app, are they? The, the there will no longer be an iPad magazine, as far as I know. Oh no, that stinks. Yeah, I, I it was a f- fantastic magazine, and and uh, the the developer who who worked on that in our in our office that had been doing a fantastic job, but we're putting our bets apparently on on a digital well it might be going yeah i think it's already announced on the app that that um there will be a site available eventually i'm not sure when but i think some of the content that i write will end up on there but if um until then please do indulge if you are on the magazine you're reading the magazine please check out my interview with um co-creator or illustrator Alice Mack in the January issue of the magazine or you can look back at some of the previous work I've done like my Johnny Doe interview back in December by downloading the um, Discovery app on uh, the iPad App Store and um, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. once again, the same word, one word at the Golden Rock uh, or you can email me if you have any complaints or questions or, or you know compliments, perhaps at uh, at the Goldenrock uh, at, golden at gmail.com.
0: Okay. well pass on to your superiors that one, one reader is very unhappy that they're doing away with the app because that app was so convenient. All right. Well, if not, uh, do check out Kevin as he continues to write wherever it ends up in cyberspace. Our next show, episode 213, we're going to be talking about uh, what films? I think, Kevin, you're gonna, are you going to talk about See You Tomorrow?
1: Yeah, I think so. See You okay. Tomorrow, right? Yeah, so yeah. The
0: latest Wankai uh, comedy. And I'm hoping to get out to see Railroad Tigers. It is actually playing in a Florida theater that is about an hour and a half drive away. And if I can find a break in the schedule where I can break away from my little one and my lovely wife uh, and they'll let me go, I hope to try and drive down and catch it. If not, I'll be talking, I think, about uh, passengers. But I do, I'm do. i going to try and get out to see Jackie Chan if I can and talk about that on our next show. So all of that and more next time. Until then, this is the East Screen West Screen podcast saying don't put cocaine in the snow machine. And we'll see you next time.
1: See you next week, everybody.